everyone and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas and I'm here with Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Strackbine. Hey, how's it going this week, Matt? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing good. Finished up our move on Monday. So That's I a good feeling. Yeah. We moved good. out of that place and into the new place and now it's all about unpacking. Yeah. <laughs> if you've been enjoying the show every week, make sure to give us a review. Follow us on social media. Send us your intros to the podcast. We haven't got one of those in a while. Join the discussion. All you have to do is leave a comment on any of our posts. We're going to say, Aubrey, even if you've done an intro and you want to do another one, sure. yeah, send go us ahead. an intro. Yeah, do it. That would be fun. Intros are fun. Congrats again to Mike Mignola. He was inducted into the Comics Hall of Yay. Fame. Congratulations! Yeah, I saw of that. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Big deal. Well earned. And I also want to make sure to shout out Craig McKnight. He's stirring up some raffle goodness over at Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook. I've had a peek at some of the prizes on the list this year, and it is going to be intense. It's going to be amazing. You definitely don't want to miss out on the raffle, so make sure to follow that page on Facebook. And look for that post from Craig McKnight, which is going to be dropping soon. I've been seeing the hints. I'm, I'm pretty excited about oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I can't wait for the whole... I can't wait for the list to be revealed or something. I don't know. What hints? What is he hinting at? It's like a very up-close, kind of out-of-context piece of what looks like an original piece of art from it, somebody. It does look like that. It kind of it looks a little, it's super you know, zoomed in. Yeah, it's super zoomed in, so you can't tell, but it's okay, so something. Okay, so I guess it's the one hint. <laughs> right. I like surprises, you know. Yeah, so that's going to be really amazing. Some things I forgot to talk about last week. Okay, so when I was listening back to the episode, the guy's name is walker moore and i keep calling him walter <laughs> and then at one point i realize that i've made an error and then i just keep calling him by the That's wrong right. name even after that so anyway uh-huh. i just want to address that anyway that was just a minor thing that bugged me when i was editing the episode well i was gonna say it's a minor character really yeah well, yeah really, maybe not for that arc but sure. overall his name is walter now i mean <laughs> just, yeah we'll just run with it thanks again to mr forp on twitter for sharing us and he got a new listener onto us so i saw this exchange he was like hey some guy posted something about hellboy and he was like you should check this out and Aww. they were like hey i downloaded the first five episodes hey, or whatever friend. yeah so That's nice fun. when you get to this episode Thanks for joining us. Yeah. (laughs) I also want to thank Stonecutter Cam on Instagram. He's got a great account. And occasionally he'll post what episode he's on and he'll post his comics. Kind of like I do every Monday. And so that's really cool. And so I've I've been sharing those in the Instagram stories. Um, I keep forgetting to mention him. And I also want to thank MJS Vinyl Essentials on Instagram for sharing us. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Hello everyone, my name is John Salinas, I've been blessed with a great big podcast based on Hellboy, so get out your trades and floppy. Stonecutter Cam on Instagram said, I just read Witchcraft and Demonology, holy shit, Santiago Caruso is out of this world, every page looks like a Slayer album. Man, that was a great run. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually looking at that issue. We actually wouldn't have got to it yet. I think it's issue thirty. It's interesting that uh, learning about Strobel, and now we're now we're getting a little minor arc with his character kind of going on in the background. So it's just like, okay, you know. Yeah, we get all those references now. Yeah. Some feedback on Abe Sapien, Dark and Terrible. 
So there's that part where Diana, she's got the coffee cup and then there's like an image in there and it shows Abe and he's all in red. And Nicholas Orizaga said, it looks like one of Strobel's salamanders. I didn't oh. catch that reference. Yeah, but it did kind of look like that if you go back and look at it. Oh, no. Is Strobel going to... Because he's looking for Abe. He's going to try and take over Abe. Hmm. I'm watching you realize all this stuff in real time. <laughs> oh, man. If you guys... You just had you a guys, moment right there. If you guys could see the, the, the non-video, because we don't do video. <laughs> Drew Campbell said, I was looking up The Internaut. That was the book that Nicholas Orizaga shouted out last week. And I had a reference in the Abe Sapien story. I found that Fantasta Graphics published an English translation in 2015. The description on the back of the book ends with, The image of its deep-suited hero, Juan Salvo, is used as a symbol of resistance in Latin America countries to this day. So it seems like the image has gone beyond just being a relevant comic book reference to having a more widespread significance. Also, while looking back through the comics to find that image, I noticed a car with graffiti all over it, including the word Pixu. I can't remember if you guys mentioned it before, but there's a horror graphic novel called Pixu, The Mark of Evil by Becky Cloonan, Gabriel Ba, Fabio Moon, and Vasalis Lolos. It's worth a read. Yeah, so there was another Easter egg in that story. Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah, I don't think we have talked about that. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. It sounds like it has a great artist list there. Jason Abaddon said... It seems to me that Abe has super healing ability. I know that's the most rubber-stamped ability of all comics, but there's just no way he can take this kind of damage and be more or less okay hours or days later. Last time a giant bat monster raked its fangs across my chest, I missed work for weeks. <laughs> Abe is up and running again the same day. And that's Yeah, I think it's important to, to note, because it's got to be why they always show him bandaged. Right. Right. Yeah. Because they want you to realize he's been injured. Right. Yeah. But he's sustained a lot of damage when you think about it. Oh yeah. You know he's so. all, he, he, he got shot in the leg a few issues back, and you're right. Yeah. You know. I don't know. I just kind of write it off as to be able to simplify things and tell a story quickly. We're just gonna ignore it and pretend like like in a movie, guy gets shot, he's still running on that leg. Right. Right. You know, you can't just show the guy. Not being able to use his leg for the rest of the movie, but you want to have it like be action packed and the stakes are high. So right. I think to kind of compromise, they end up being well. He got injured, but he, he's fine later. Um, right, right, it's exactly. Sort of a <laughs> storytelling device. That, I don't know. Is that yeah, does that break that, the fourth wall too much, or is that? No, I I think it's just as easy though to say he's supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what. That's my and point. Is going. that it's. Yeah. yeah. He's he's a weird fish guy. We don't know if he's part god, and it <laughs> might be. You know. So that's, right. Right. I think that's easily justifiable within world for sure. When I posted that scene of Abe and Megan hanging out, looking at the clouds, Jason Abaddon said, "This is my favorite scene in the Abe Sapien series. Growing up, my favorite movie was The Outsiders, and this scene reminds me of Pony and Johnny talking in the country." Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, okay. Oh, yeah. For Coppola. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. Movie going public. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, <laughs> I think I missed that one. Yeah. Oh, are you kidding? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So hold on a second. We can't just. <laughs> I don't want to derail the podcast, but we just we can't just go past that. Well, it's it's like one of those movies that's always been like on the. Damn, I missed I missed that one list. Right, right. It's like I, I'll see it eventually, probably. You would not believe the movies I have not seen. Yeah. It is impressive in and so, of itself. But Coppola is one of these guys who makes a movie and then everyone's like, oh, shit, we got to start doing that now, you know? Okay. So 
he had two movies that came out in 1983, The Outsiders and Rumblefish. And you've got to see both of those movies. I would almost watch them back to back. <laughs> okay. It's a must-see, both those movies. Nice. But, you know, all due respect, check yourself. Advice taken. No, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Coppola from 1983, and you'll be like, oh, okay, now that's why all these other movies do this or that. Sure, yeah. Ross Radke said... Ross Radke. Book club member. I totally understand where Danielle is coming from with her healthy skepticism of organized religion, but I'm pretty sure she'd dig our church Halloween parties. One year was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark themed, where each stop on the trail was based on a story. We also hosted huge Halloween parties complete with a haunted trail in the woods, which frequently featured dismemberment, giant spiders, homemade pyrotechnics, and a gallows. It wasn't until college that I realized most church congregations would be horrified by this stuff. Yeah, not. I'm not really into dismemberment. <laughs> uh, Do you like haunted houses and stuff like spiders that? Spiders and stuff are great. Yeah, okay. spiders is... I'm the, I'm the more... <laughs> I fall on the more, let's have a wholesome apple cider hayride side of Halloween sure. than, than dismemberment. <laughs> I'm not really... A, okay. Yeah. Maybe there even, is a haunted trail right down the street from where I just moved. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, nice. I mean, it's like a... Like a official Halloween kind of thing. It's not like an actual haunted oh, okay. trail. <laughs> <laughs> I had to clarify that. It's like a haunted house trail. Either one. It's yeah. fine. That's, you know, I'll take either. Mark Tweedell said. He lit us up on Twitter. Oh, oh he really did. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. We have a couple comments from Mark. Oh, in a good way. I thought you meant. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, oh shit, in a good happens? way. Yeah. And I wanted to reply, but I was like, I should probably just save it. <laughs> for the podcast. He said, yes, the colors mean so much. Yellow is basically denial. While Abe is foiling himself and hiding from who he is, the series is saturated in yellow. Even his skin shifts to more military green. But when Abe talks about things that he should be examining more, when he's in a situation where he can't hide anymore or when he's actively searching for the truth again, that's when green returns. I remember being so happy when I read that final scene of A Darkness So Great and it was bathed in greens. Abe couldn't hide anymore. This is the book club content I crave. Yeah. This is excellent. No, yeah, it's excellent use of color for sure, but we can expect no less from the mighty Dave Stewart, right? Yeah. It's actually rather fantastic, really, how they express denial. I mean, Abe, a fish man, tells himself he's looking to learn the truth about himself, and he looks for that in the desert. Location is important, and it makes the themes of dark and terrible resonate in a really powerful way. Also touching on Aubrey's observation about the final scene going to purple, those magenta shades are used very specifically throughout the Dark and Terrible cycle. Go back and look through past issues. I'm sure you'll see a connection. Also, I love in the final panel in A Darkness So Great. Yes, he's looking in the right place now. He's diving into the water. But it's not a happy prospect. He's going into darkness. The idea that you can utilize a cohesive color palette throughout different stories to call back on like mood or or things like that that's an excellent idea really good observations love that he also said that he would love to see matt take on abe's visit to long island (laughs) yeah (laughs) nice (laughs) he said i grew up in a religious family so that line from Nichols about the donkey jawbone i got that instantly but i have some pretty major blind spots Personally, my own way of working out what makes a good story is how to balance plot, character, and emotion. Mm. Too heavy on one element can derail a story, but when these elements all feed into each other, that's when the magic happens. 
The thing about the money is actually pretty key to this arc. It comes up later with Megan that the adults are not accepting change. They're treating the changes in the world like they're temporary and they can go back to the way things were. So holding on to the idea of money has value becomes a crutch to prop up this belief. If they let go of the concept of money, that would be a step towards acceptance that they are resisting desperately, even to their own detriment. It's so weird we're reading this series now. I can't help but get some Greta Thunberg energy from Megan when she's talking to Abe. The covers on A Darkness So Great feature an interesting composition choice. The logo is on the bottom third, which comics rarely do because on the certain displays the logo would be hidden. But they love the idea enough to go ahead with it anyway. So when they sit on the thing, the actual part that says Abe Sapien would be covered. And it would just be the picture on the top, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. A lot of great feedback from Mark Tweedo. Mark Tweedo. I wonder. Yeah, I think those comics still say from the pages of Hellboy at the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It does say that. Yeah. I mean, that's it's still his point is valid because that is a serious risk. I've had to argue with um, collaborators while self-publishing that. Nobody knows our comic, man. We can't put the title at the bottom. It's right, got to be right. at the top, you know? Yeah. And uh, and they're like, but it looks, composition-wise, it looks so much better. And I go, all right, nobody's going to buy your comic. <laughs> it's just that simple. Right, or, or, right. or there's a risk that they're not going to go for it. But, um, yeah, I wonder if Hellboy's done that before. If these comics have ever done that, or is it? Is I don't that think so. I can't. I can't think of any covers that are like that, other than than those, other than like variant covers or whatever. Uh, you know, great well, insight though about the color. Yeah, I was gonna say he talked about those purple magenta scenes. Did you have a chance to go back and look at any of that? I think it relates to uh, like the occult or black magic. Oh, okay. So, like, when he was fighting Corvellis, like, I think that scene was all in purple or whatever. Yeah, and and lots of Strobel when he encounters his, uh, or confronts his mentor, his former mentor. Speaking of covers that, you know, put the title kind of not at the top, I think, if I remember correctly, Marvel's Civil War comics had the title somewhere in the middle of them. Oh, okay. Because it was, like, solid image on the top, solid color on the bottom. I think I remember that. And the title was somewhere in the middle. Right, right. Yeah. Just going back to that green color again, because we'll see that going forward as well in these comics. To me, the color green would be like if it were a musical score, which we talked about last time. Right. That would cue Abe's theme. Like if every character has a theme. Now, I don't know if other colors work the same way for other characters. I don't know if other characters in these books have Hmm. their own theme. Yeah. But, But Abe does. That's for sure. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, whenever Hellboy goes into his, like, fury mode or whatever, where he, like, killed all those giants, that was all red. All those scenes were all, like... We had some feedback on our Witchfinder, the Mysteries of Unland. Witchfinder. Clayton Schofield at Sir Edward Gray on Twitter said, Before listening to this week's pod, this is all right. Nice art. Decent story. After listening to this week's pod, wow, what a banger of a story. Fantastic art. I love it. Does anyone else have this problem? I'm uh, glad, yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they could give some more appreciation to that one. Well, it's like I was saying the other day, it's just like when I read it, I'm all like, okay. And then when we talk about it, I'm like, yeah, that shit was the bomb. <laughs> Nathaniel Green said... Nathaniel Green. Book club member. Orange. Book club member. <laughs> <laughs> Nathaniel Green said, I got my trade paperback signed by Mr. Crook at Hellboy Day in Portland. 
And I asked him to sign it somewhere significant to him, and he picked that opening illustration of Sir Edward Gray. Nice. That little painting that's on the inside. That's pretty awesome. Edward Lawrence said, this is my favorite Sir Edward story. Jules Olivero said, is this also the first series without Mignola on writing duties? I think it is. Mm. Has there been anything else? Well, this is the first one we've come upon. Right, right. Okay. But I wonder if they wrote that final scene with Abe. They would have left their name off it to maintain the surprise? Right. I think that there's a really good interview with both authors, and um, they talk about that they just got notes. They would get notes on what they had to include to tie it into the Mignolaverse. And so, so they they wrote that end scene, you think? I guess so. I guess they were just oh, told cool. like maybe to do something. It's not really clear. I'd have to go back and look at that interview. Wow, because that felt like a real Abe scene. Mm-hmm. Well, they're good writers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if we weren't already sure of that. Right. Nicholas Orizaga <laughs> said, I would have loved to seen Tyler Crook's version of Jenny Greenteeth. Yeah, that would have been great to yeah, see Tyler yeah. cool. character. Taylor Dodderman said... I'm not sure how relevant it is to this particular story, but Mir is actually the French word for mother. Maybe Abe heard about the eel mother and was led to Unlan in his quest to discover the history of Call and the Oanes society. It could be a stretch, but there are lots of mythologies involving eels, and quite a few of them originate from New Zealand and other Polynesian islands. That's cool. Yeah, so thank you for the research assist on that. Mm. Taylor Dodderman. Book club member. Yeah. Jerry Turnbull said the Anno Dracula series of, Jerry Turnbull. of books is amazing. Book club member. <laughs> As the series progresses, there's a ton of cameos. It seems every TV and movie vampire appears. The cameos aren't restricted to vampires either. You have The Shadow, Michael Corleone, and even Clark Kent appears. Highly recommended. And he also said Satanic Mills is a reference to William Blake's 1808 poem, Jerusalem. Oh. And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills... And was Jerusalem builded here amongst these dark satanic mills? <laughs> and then he also said, over here, Mir is a body of water. Ah. So we got two comments on yeah. the meaning of that word. Yeah. I like that. Well, okay. Right. It's still, I mean, that fits really well. It, both of them seem to fit yeah. With, yeah. with the theme yeah, yeah. water and mother. <laughs> yeah. Ross Ratke said. Ross Ratke. <laughs> book club <laughs> member. <laughs> I forgot it, that Tyler Crook drew this story. His style is perfectly suited for this subject. The watercolors for a watery story are wonderful. He somehow manages to imbue these horribly grotesque images of eels bursting from human flesh uh. with a tinge of with a tinge of dark comedy, which I totally agree with. There is a lot of comedy to those. Kind of yeah, when they got their head chopped off, almost chopped off, and they're like, "Next time we'll kill you." Right. <laughs> Jack Black could have carried that role off really yeah, well. Yeah, that would have been good. Oh, the, the you're talking about guy. the Constable Lawless. Yes, oh. yes. He wouldn't. They would oh, end up controlled by the eels. Yeah, they would, would totally end up work. rewriting like the whole season around that guy. <laughs> he also said, "I put off reading Witchfinder for a long time. I think because the creative team changes book to book. But I really enjoyed this one, and I only recently purchased the next two volumes, which I've yet to read. But revisiting this, I'm excited to crack them open." Mark Tweedell said, "The flash forward." <laughs> the flash forward at the end is just prior to BPRD the Black Flame. The bit at the beginning of BPRD Garden of Souls is set a little earlier than the rest of the story, immediately after those events. March 2006 is a useful linchpin date to figure out when other things happened, as the destruction in Idaho by Cothahem is a frequently referenced event. 
Yeah, so we're trying to figure out where that timeline was. So he's saying it's right before the Black Flame. Mm. The teaser campaign for The Mysteries of Unland was so great. I wish that happened more often. They also did a teaser campaign for The Witchfinder, The Gates of Heaven, too, which you'll get to later. That one was also fun. I really love this arc. Tyler Crook's art is spectacular. He's doing his own creator-owned material now, which is always what I want to see him doing most. But I want to see him do more Witchfinder someday. He could draw an amazing foggy London. We really have to chat about Harrow County at some point. Yeah, that's a really good series. So pre the Black Flame story arc, Kazinko had like infested that town, right? Yeah, they had. So it feels like that was specifically Landis Pope was a couple of steps ahead of. Oh, okay, you're uh, right. Hey, wow. Yeah, interesting. We'll talk about that more when we get to that. Uh, we get to that part. Jen Niklas said, "Jen Niklas, book club member." Yeah. Little side note: the whole Victorian age has only one queen, Queen Victoria. She reigned so long, from 1837 to 1901, she became the face of this time period. So when Sir Edward talks about the queen, he talks about this one. And she was a personality that got weirder and weirder over the years. And she was German by birth and the grandmother of Emperor Wilhelm II of Germany, the other evil German you think of, if you don't count Bismarck, <laughs> who was also a real Schweinehut. Yeah, but Queen Victoria, it is and always will be. The Bad First. This is the most average story you've read so far. Like, after you read it, you mostly forget it. I think it hurts the story. That's after a playful start. It turns into another Witchfinder mystery. More playing with the art and jabbing at stereotypes and the fears of the upper class, please. The stuff about the tonic and the various stereotypical French and German spies were the best parts. I also hate the villain. I really hate her. You live in a swamp, lady, and reign over cousins. <laughs> Stop annoying me. I know it's the Industrial Revolution and you have it hard, but my god, does this whole we're the wise women of a stinky swamp story make me grumpy. While in other <laughs> HB stories, you get the feeling that those witches' wise women are kind of complex characters, and it comes across like a spoiled brat that wants something she doesn't understand at all. Also... You rule over a swamp, lady. A swamp. <laughs> with all the weird stuff and the illnesses and slimy eels. <laughs> oh, damn. Swamps are excellent ecological systems. I will not hear a word yeah. against swamps. I will not. It's I do agree that we could use more new ones to, witch, uh, to swamp witches. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, swamp witches are, are very, uh, they have layers, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like swamp witches get too bogged down with all that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that was great. He says, okay, the good stuff. The art is just awesome, and I adore Grumpy Eddie. Grumpy Eddie is the perfect mood for everything, and I just love how he hates this assignment until he switches to heroic witchfinder mode. The first two books may have given him character development, but this one gives him personality. He's the man that is too good for this shit. The blue-collar killer of monsters. Satan's frowny kick in the pandemonium. He's Grumpy Eddie Witchfinder. <laughs> I just keep thinking about where Gray ends up, you know? That's what John was saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate that I can't remember exactly when that was figured out, if it was before Unland came oh, around. Oh, okay, uh, right, right. Like in the regular release sure, order? Sure, sure. Huh. But um yeah, that's a good that's a good question for like Jerry Turnbull or Mark Tweedo. I wonder if they would know. I mean, they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just ask them. <laughs> Kim uh Jen Niklas also said 
Kim Newman as an author really is interesting since he seems to have just swallowed the literature of two centuries in every horror movie ever. His strong suit are his short stories, but I also enjoyed his latest Anno Dracula novels, Johnny Alucard and the one about Japan, which are like giant meta-commentaries on vampires in pop culture. While the first three books are more interested in creating a world where almost every character from history and literature turns into a vampire. That's kind of like what Jerry Turnbull was talking about. Newman has a good eye for a little obscure stuff, and maybe the mysteries of Unland would have turned into a more fun, even intellectually stimulating take if it would have gotten more room to build more of it in. Oh well, hear you next week. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting, because you kind of had some similar comments about that too, right? Or it wasn't your favorite, you know? No, it wasn't. I guess they say, like, if you had more time to kind of bake it in, I right. guess. Jason Abaddon said... I'd buy the hell out of a Penny Dreadful Witchfinder series done in this style. Yeah, yeah that would totally. be really cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. They they should do something like that, you know. He also said, you guys were talking about the term animal cues and how they don't have a sense of germs based on eating in the mortuary. This era was the cusp of a huge change in science and medicine as new viewing lenses would become the first microscopes and change the world's understanding of infection and life. There's a great book by Edward... Dolnik called the seeds of life about this era and the crazy centuries-long quest to understand how life is made dollar store serpentor aubrey called it perfectly when we talked about the mayor yeah <laughs> <laughs> wes mattis said this story reminds me so much of a lovecraft story especially with the fish people i still believe and agree when people say that the bprd should be a show and hellboy a character in it in the style of the movie dark city but Witchfinder would make an awesome movie, especially this story. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. See, th- there's a chance to do like a cinematic universe connected to a TV show thing, you know? Right. You do Hellboy in the movies and the BPRD on the show. Mm-hmm. And then the same actor character pops up. Right, right. Yeah. You know, to be like, oh, well, the actors don't want to fucking sign into a goddamn contract. <laughs> Done. You never know. They could do it because... Like, I'm still shocked that they made a sequel to Blade Runner. I'm shocked that Watchmen wow. is going to be a TV show. Sure, yeah. yeah. Like, I never saw that coming. But they did it. Yeah. And, but, you know, going, going back to Unland, just for a second. The reason why I think this was an important Witchfinder story is because it's his post-American experience. Ah. ah and okay. he, he goes... He ends up back in America. And I think that you could theorize that he was always, yeah, I just want to go back to America. But he learned stuff from that, and he used it in this story. So I thought that was significant. Oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely see the character growth from that story. I want to see more of the old man Witchfinder, old man Eddie. Yeah. Like we saw totally. in uh, Hellboy in Hell. Uh, or, yeah, no, yeah. Abe Sapien the Drowning. We That's also yeah, that, that yeah. was so good. God, yeah. that was good. Yeah. When I posted about those shilling shockers, we called them Penny Dreadfuls. Mark Tweedell said, just so you know, Penny Dreadfuls are prose, not comics. I did know that. I okay. don't know why I didn't bring that so up. So what, what oh, are right. the comics called? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> um, but Nicholas Orzaga said, can't you imagine young Trevor Broom reading these as a kid the same way Hellboy read Lobster Johnson comic books? Oh, yeah, totally. That would yeah. be great. Yeah, I want to see that. Jason Abaddon said, "Oh, so we had um, we had some pickle talk." Jason Abaddon. We had pickle. a good. Uh, we we had this pickle whole segue. Member. So Jason Abaddon said, "The best pickles are half sour kosher pickles." 
My local deli even slices them lengthwise so you can put them on sandwiches. Nice. A must nice. for a proper Cuban sandwich. That's my gauntlet throw down. And Ross yeah, Radke said... I've had those. Oh, really? Um, yeah, there's a friend of mine who owns this deli in town called the Brooklyn Deli. He's from Brooklyn. Nice. nice. And he has these pickles imported from there. <laughs> and it's just what he's talking about, the half Wow. Star. Ross Radke said... Across from my dorm at Montana State University in Bozeman is a sandwich shop called the Pickle Barrel. They had a barrel full of pickles, free to take with any purchase. I ate there on a weekly basis. On the left side was an ice cream shop. I prefer kosher dill pickles. The bigger the better. Sweet pickles are an abomination. Agreed. They're bad. (laughs) Also, my wife claims it's okay to put pickles on cucumber on a sandwich, and I think you'll have to pick one or the other. I know I'm probably wrong, but please debate this. Is a pickle a cucumber, though? It basically is, right? Yeah. You can pickle lots of things. But the question is, can you put both of them on a Pickled sandwich? Pickled cucumber and cucumber? Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like sure. a Greek salad. You chop up cucumbers, you put olives in there. Olives have you know, a similar profile, not not the same. I guess it depends on the sandwich, to be honest with you. Because mm. like, I would put pickles and cucumbers on my Subway sandwich, but I wouldn't <laughs> put cucumbers on a burger. <laughs> no, you don't put cucumbers on a burger. You know, Dino, I think we're talking about a cold sandwich. Okay. Yeah, then I yeah, still I think, think. It, I, I think I still think it depends on the sandwich. I think it's fine. Mark Tweedo said, I am horrified by this combination. Ah. <laughs> I think the, the only time there are rules applied to sandwiches is when the sandwich already has a name. Okay. Like, okay. like you don't put cucumbers on a Reuben because that's not a Reuben. Sure. Well, sure. Uh, see, I'm not about like strict like names of sandwich well, i think just, it's so weird just call it something else just make so a you sandwich do it. i think sandwiches are more just about like flavor profiles like you've got you're not gonna put for example you're not gonna put like <laughs> like a <laughs> you're gonna put a mustard and and uh whatever there's another type of sandwich that mustard won't go on right like i don't know what am i trying to say tuna fish uh no no. mustard and tuna fish is great you could do that yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm saying like there are certain things if you've got like a coleslaw yeah just do whatever you want do whatever you want that's the the moral of the story the thing is yes everybody do whatever they want but i might not put pickles on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. that's fine more food talk mark tweedell said just curious but do they not have beef and ale pie in America? That sounds I, great. I couldn't tell from your tone if you were curiously questioning or like, oh yeah, let's get some of that pie, which would, of course, be the natural reaction to beef and ale pie. Well, pies I've here in America are mostly fruit-based pies, and we don't really have a lot of savory meat-based pies. We have chicken pot pie. I disagree. I ate lots of savory pies growing up. Shepherd's but it's pie. Not, but it's not a... Um, common thing i think it's a super common thing well i think and it really depends like i mean here in houston there are places you could go and get a beef and ale pie probably if you wanted one you know oh really yeah there's like pubs and there's like uh places that are all oh yeah houston's got a really good they're 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 tailored around like being the english cuisine or whatever strictly english cuisine though i mean there's right right yeah but in the context of the story that's what it was it's more of a rustic meal okay yeah, but Mark Tweedo said, Australians love our pie. A particular favorite is beef and Guinness pie, very similar to beef and ale pie. <laughs> I used to make my own version of Guinness pie whenever it was a friend's birthday. Inside is beef marinated in Guinness and Worcestershire sauce, mushrooms, carrots, mm. and onions topped with sliced tomato. 
This is topped with mashed potato made on a triple thickened cream, egg yolk, cheese, spring onions, and cracked pepper. This is served with mushy peas made from a mix of fresh picked peas and dried split peas for a more satisfying texture and taste. Fuck, I want to eat this right now. He posted a picture of it. Yeah, it looked awesome. I've had that before, yeah. For sure. He said the one that he made weighed just under four kilograms, eight point eight pounds. Nice. <laughs> and he posted a picture of it on our Twitter. Wow. You can go check that out. And he also recommended the pickle recipe from Relish My Life in the Kitchen. And so I was checking this out. It's kind of like a cookbook, but it's done like a graphic novel. Nice. Oh shit! I it looks see that. awesome, and there's like actual recipes in it. Mark Tweedo recommended the cookie recipe as well. I've often felt there were a lot of recipes that could go with more illustration. Yeah, that would be that's great. really great. Yeah. yeah, so go check that out. All right, and now we're going to move on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Abe Sapien, The Shadow Over Swanee. This is a three issue arc published from July to September 2015. It's Abe Sapien issues 24 to 26, written by Mignola and Ali. Art by Sebastian and Max Fumara and Tyler Crook. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. And so I want to talk about this cover really quick because when I first saw this cover, I think I actually saw it as a teaser and it just like horrified me to see Abe like this. And he's been like saying that he's not one of the frogs and then here to see him with all of them. Those like massive swarms of frogs from the Black Flame were like one of the things that I remembered the most from that story. And then to see him in there, I was just like, oh, I didn't like that at all. You know? Oh, you're reading the trade? Yeah. Yeah. In the omnibus, that's the chapter art, is that cover. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, you're right. I was like, uh oh, why is Abe with the frogs? Yeah. Because he has said before that he feels like he has a connection to them somehow. Right. it's been theorized that he might be the evolution of them. Right. Like their next step in evolution. And, and this was, while it's one of the best comic book covers oh, yeah. in this series, I think it was called out as one of the best comic book covers of that year by somebody. Sure, sure. Yeah. I could definitely see that. We're going to get into it. Regarding this opening scene, he says, One of my early ideas for the series was to have Abe inhale the frog gas and hallucinate. Inspired by another vision and dream sequences in the book, Max proposed a dream of Abe encountering monsters in the church. As I plotted out the series, I realized Swanee was the place to use Max's idea, but it was a story intended for Seba. Since it was a hallucination, it seemed appropriate to switch from Max to Seba. The part in Abe's head would be a different art style than the main story. This inspired the other two parts of Swanee, that switch art style, where Seba imitated Mike's Seat of Destruction style for the early 1990s flashback, and the Unland flashback drawn by Tyler Crook, who'd drawn the Witchfinder series in which that story was teased. Maura McHugh, who wrote that story with Kim Newman, helped me with that flashback. So we'll talk about that too when we get to it. When Mike realized Seba was aping his 1994 style, they had this exchange. Mike. Ugh. My style. Please feel free to make the girls and everything else prettier than I could. What is often mistaken for my style is my inability to draw almost anything, especially girls. Seba. Mike, I love how you draw girls, especially Kate. Wolves of St. August was the first time I saw Hellboy in an anthology magazine, Kimok from Spain in black and white. It was like a slap of creativity to my face, and I love that girl in the jacket and earrings. That story meant a lot to me. And to what I am today, I thought it was so easy for you to draw a girl with so few lines. It's funny you felt like it was a flaw. 
an artist's mind is really tricky. Mike, the artist's mind tricky is probably an understatement, at least for the mind I've got. Rats in a cage. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Good. That's good. Even Dave Stewart is mimicking the colors from Seed of Destruction. Oh, and he right. did not color that originally. Right. Oh. It was, uh, Mike Giarello. Is that how you say it? I think so. Yeah. Mark. Mark Giarello. Mark Giarello. Like when we opened this page, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah. It's really uh, nice. You know, I can tell it's not Mignola, but I mean, it's definitely, it's Seva doing a really good Mignola impression. Yeah, and it's good to see just all these characters again. You're really immediately taken back. It's been so long since we've um, had any kind of scene that could be anywhere near this, right? He's got his own attitude going on with it, though. He's got a, you know, yeah. you can definitely tell. For sure. But uh, can we talk about uh, Liz's aesthetic here? And oh, this yeah. This page is incredible. I love it. Yeah, she's got a great trench a coat fantastic, there. Fantastic. I wouldn't characterize it as a trench coat. Okay. It is it's like fantastic. Revolutionary though. War coat I, or something. Right? <laughs> I really dig it's it. So gothic. Yeah, she looks fantastic, but it's not she carries it off well. It's her own style. It's incredibly tailored. I love it. Isn't it cool how the whole scene on this first page is surrounded by the water that we know Abe is swimming through? Oh, oh right. Yeah, yeah. So really, I mean, you have two styles playing against each other here in sure. contrast, but but, like, we know it's a flashback. Right. And he says, I remember my friends. And we get this great scene of the team all talking. They reference Hellboy being a horrible shot. And they also reference Broom heading on a trip to a colder climate. This panel where he says, it's nothing. He's going to the Cavendish mission where they're going to find Saduhem and Rasputin yeah. and all that. Oh, right? no. So check this out, though. See, back at the very first panel, there's that tape recorder on the right side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what Broom was talking into in Seed of Destruction oh, when he was retelling shit. how Hellboy came to Earth. Oh, you're right. All that narration is his dialogue, and it ends with him sitting in that office using that tape recorder and that lamp on the left with the crooked lampshade. Right. That's in Seed of Destruction. Wow. That same lamp. And so... So this is the same room, and if they just clicked that tape recorder, think about how cool it would have been. I mean, for all we know, they have listened to it, but to hear him retelling Hellboy coming to Earth. Oh, right, right. yeah. That would have been cool. So anyway, they I mean, they really did reference the... Yeah, I didn't realize all those details. I should have put them uh, next to each other. As the team are leaving for their mission, Hellboy, Abe, and Liz invite Kate to come along. But she says she'll take a rain check. They also reference Abe's beard and hat get up. Kate hugs Abe and says, take care of each other. I love the how, the way that they do the flashback in Mignola style. Cause yeah. It, it really does kind of feel like it's been a long time since all of this stuff has happened. Right. Well, and it, I and think, it's only been a year. Yeah. And <laughs> and uh, who is this guy that um that comes at the door? Is that Sidney Leach? We don't really see. It's it's a guy with glasses. I was wondering who's, yeah, who's coming in the car. Yeah, it might uh, be. It could be. City leeches. <laughs> and I want to say this panel of Liz lighting her cigarette is exactly from Seat of Destruction, right. right? Isn't there a panel that looks almost exactly like that? Oh, yeah. Isn't there a couple panels that look like that? Yeah, I think honest? so, yeah. You really do need to go back and check it out because I just, I'm texting you a picture right now that's uh, of the office and it's like identical. Wow, that's Pretty really cool. great. Hellboy says, this will be a piece of cake. And it was. We traveled the world together, fighting things that looked no stranger than us. 
Hellboy and I were the only company Liz wanted, thanks to the fire inside her, what it had made her do. They were family to me. None of us looked for answers about what we were. When Hellboy was gone, that got harder. After I discovered my past, I still ignored the fact that the things we fought looked more and more like me. Liz came and went like before. Roger died. I grew away from Kate who knew more about me than anyone. I still ignored the idea that I could be connected to those things until that lunatic made it impossible. Now, I'm not connected to anything. And as Abe is swimming, we get this awesome series of flashbacks. I love this shot of the team, like, in a cemetery, you know, fighting all these monsters or whatever. They look like they're, like, goat ladies or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So this is actually something that I know, and I didn't research this at all. But in San Antonio, where I grew up, there was a myth of the donkey lady, and she would come out at cemeteries. And um, I don't remember more about that, but it kind of uh, looks like it kind of looks like a donkey lady because it also has a kind of a westerny feel, desert. Yeah, kind of thing. it looks like there's a mission in the background. So yeah, I wonder. Um, I'll have to I'll have to do some more research on that. We also see Roger too. Uh, right? I was yeah. about to say that. Yeah. I love that little panel with Roger. We also see. In the King of Fear, where the Black Flame was telling Abe, I'm not going to be the center of power in all this. You are. And Devon is kind of looking at him. Fucking Devon. So, so there he's kind of doing Guy Davis. Yeah, I was going to say that it looks just like Guy Davis's style. Yeah, so he really did imitate. Yeah, that's really cool. And so as Abe comes up out of the water, we find this crazy looking Ogdruhem monster. How would you describe this? It kind of looks like a... I just kept thinking of this Beetlejuice sculpture. Isn't there a sculpture from Beetlejuice that kind of looks like this? Kind of looks like a hand. Right, no, it's right? a style kind of. Yeah. I was going to say, it kind of looks like a, like a forearm and a hand with several fingers. It's kind of like a tower. At the top of the tower, there are just all these different, I don't know, like fingers or whatever coming out. It just looks like something that would, like a plant that would release spores. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I was just reading about zombie fungus. Have you guys heard of this? No. What is that? It's in the Amazon. It's a fungus that takes over like ants and bow weevils and beetles. Oh, I have heard it, of that. Yeah. It infests them, kills them, and then takes over their muscles, forces them to climb, you know, like a zombie, forces them to climb like a leaf or a branch <laughs> to a height where it can release spores and do it all over again. Wow. And just think if somebody weaponized that. Yeah, really. Or, Oh, oh my god or some giant monsters came out of the ground that could do that yeah right <laughs> what, man, no yeah <laughs> and so we reveal here that we're in swanee florida this is an unincorporated community in dixie county florida it is located on the swanee river near its mouth at the southern end of the big bend region of florida abe rises out of the water to observe this ravaged town and then he immediately gets shot at right mm-hmm <laughs> He goes under, and so when he goes under, you can see these guys are kind of looking. Um, these two guys are Isaac and Lloyd, and I kind of like this panel. It's kind of humorous. Isaac pulls the binoculars over, and he kind of chokes the other guy with them while he's like looking yeah. for Abe under the water. I like his shirt. It says, re- release the Kraken, and it's a, got a silhouette of poo above <laughs> it. I don't know why. That just made me laugh. <laughs> retaining a sense of humor in the apocalypse right i was gonna say i like this guy's lovingly rendered flannel shirt oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah totally. it is very lovingly rendered it's a it's an excellent flannel shirt there 
And so Abe comes out, he pops out of the water, and he snatches the rifle immediately from them. I love that bit of action right there. Abe has headed up to here with these rednecks and their guns. That's what you should be scared of. And Abe gestures towards the Ogdruhem. The guys, Lloyd and Isaac, recognize Abe and apologize. They call him Mr. Sapien. They're like, we're sorry. They <laughs> thought he was one of the frogs. You have to uh, understand our confusion, Isaac says. They start to tell Abe how this all came to pass. And then suddenly, there's frog monsters. We haven't seen frog monsters in a while, right? Not in a very long, not since... Uh... The end of Plague of Frogs. Right, yeah, yeah. I think the Black Flame or something. That's probably the last Nebraska, time we saw them. What about King, King of Fear? Fear? Were they in there? Yeah, yeah. He had them underground with those other ancient beings. I forget if they gave them a name or not. Right, right. Those uh, proto-human just, guys. Yes. Yeah, they were joining forces. And so when the frog monsters come out, Abe passes the gun over to the other guys. If they get past me, don't shoot me, he says. Do my <laughs> best, Lloyd yells. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love this action, how Abe, like, he immediately gets this one around the neck and, like, cracks its neck and stuff like that. It's really good. I like how they're fighting over the gun. He's like, you're a terrible shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like the end of this beat because we see Abe, like, he's bashing this one into the ground. And then he asks for the gun. And he shoots this one off in the distance. And then he turns around and shoots the other one. But he starts talking. He's like, okay, so... And he shoots yeah. one of them. Yeah. So it's just all, it's just really cool. Like, he's so used to this by now. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, it doesn't even phase him. He's just ready like, to get his information and move on. Yeah, like to Abe, fighting a couple of frogs is like taking the trash out. Right. right? <laughs> Not a big deal. Immediately after the action beat, Abe is back to business. Okay, so it crawled out from under the town three years ago, he asks. The guys tell him that the Ogdruhem is rooted to the ground. There used to be more town, but it was all pulled into the sinkhole. Nobody made it out, Isaac says. We got this tsunami wave, killed everyone below the waterline, the new waterline. Next day, the Ogdruhem spewed gas and turned survivors into frogs. And we kind of get a flashback of all that. We kind of see in the flashback, there's this lady with the red hair there, so they kind of introduce that imagery. The guys lead Abe towards their group, which seemed to be holding up in a church. And, um, yeah, this one guy looks shocked to see Abe. I love on this bottom panel, this guy's, like, cigarette is falling out of his mouth. We cut to Isaac, and he's introducing Abe to the group. They say he's their best chance of putting their town right. And they tell the people about how he killed the frog monsters. Admittedly, he does look a lot different, Lloyd says. Not helping Lloyd, Isaac mutters under his breath. One of these guys... In the crowd, Williams says, we'd be fools to turn this man away. And this woman calls out. She's like, you know Hellboy, huh? Oh, yes, I do, Abe responds. Yeah, and so I kind of like that moment. I like how they call him a man, too. You know yeah. what I mean? I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I feel like they have respect for him. Yeah. It's just kind of nice that in this particular world, like, you know, Hellboy and Abe are recognized. Right. And not immediately. I mean, there are the few that think that they're bad, but most people are like, oh, yeah, I saw you in Time Magazine. You're right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we cut to Abe and all these new people, right, talking around a table. I kind of like these scenes. We've seen a lot of these scenes in this cycle. Abe is surprised to learn that the internet is still up. The Navy shelled the Ogdruhem, and there was an airstrike, but it didn't do much. Lloyd wonders if anything else needs to be done. It ain't done nothing in a while, he says. 
Abe asks if anyone has communicated with one. And so I was wondering what he was thinking there. Is he thinking of Dark and Terrible where that priest, remember that he was talking to that priest and then it turned into one or... I don't know. And so just then, Autumn, Isaac's sister, comes in and puts an end to the town's vegetarian feast by dropping a bunch of fish on the table. She's introduced to Abe and explains that she had to go fishing in the cove. Williams puts down what they're catching on the beach, and it's this weird tentacle deformed fish, right? A couple of those tentacles look like uh, fingers. Oh, you're right. They do. They're like they have fingernails. That's so crazy. Yeah. So it's like. That's not good. It's like a mixture of tentacle tubes and fingers right fucking creepy as hell who's gonna clean these bad boys the ones that don't look like a pokemon i mean autumn (laughs) says which pokemon looks like that i think that it's just a reference to an odd looking i know but is there one that looks like that i i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) we cut to abe it's night and he goes into the water to investigate the ogdruham I wanted to confront the creature at the Salton Sea and prove once and for all I had nothing to do with these monsters. I fought these things since they first showed up at Cavendish Hall, Hellboy Liz and I, later Roger. Still those lunatics from the Black Flame to Devon to that girl with a gun, they see a connection between me and these things. What was I going to do in the Salton Sea? Would one of those giant mute nightmares tell me something? If the gas they spew turns people into those frogs... What would that do to you? He remembers Grace asking that, right? Yeah. And as he swims down, we get some really amazing art here by the Fumaras. All the frogs are kind of hiding out in the... Are they hiding out in the Ogdruhem, like underwater, right? Like there's like caves under there and stuff like that. It's it's almost like um, you see sea creatures in coral reefs and stuff like that. Right. Only this is a coral reef of evil. Yeah. (laughs) And we see them tearing up a shark in the background. I'm running, like Grace said, but from what, Abe thinks. Liz is back at the bureau, Kate's there, and I'm out here alone. All I've found is a lot of broken people trying to cope with the horrors of the end of the world. Same as me. And I have nothing for them. As he's continuing to think about this, we see Jean, and we see the salt and sea monster, and we also see this weird tower, Ogdruham, that looks like there's some mist coming down of it. As Abe swims further down... He comes across all the dead townspeople, all the people that were washed away below the waterline. And we see that lady with the red hair again. And they're all like talking to him, right? Or these are like the ghosts of these people. We've seen uh, this kind of phenomenon a couple times, right? Right. They're like trapped souls or something. There you go. That's what it is. And so they're like asking Abe, do they remember us? Did they send you? Were you one of us? They haven't come looking. I want my husband, right? So they're asking him, "Who are you? Who are you?" This is something they they never look into. He has a that's a correct observation. He does have a lot of these encounters, right? With ghosts and spirits and trap souls or whatever, you know, all this stuff. There's so many stories right. where Abe is coming into contact, and everyone immediately thinks of Johan, but like this guy yeah. has just as many encounters. Yeah, I think that's an interesting link. Maybe he doesn't necessarily initiate them, but they. Yeah, so like we were talking about earlier, oh, does he have a super fast healing? Like, why does he have a lot of these ghost encounters? Yeah, and that's been even before he evolved and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Look how the lettering is all slanted. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, he does that have cool? this. That's a nice touch. He does have this ethereal, otherworldly quality too, because of his very murky background story or whatever. Right. Or origin, right. Transformation. His origin yeah. story. It's like this weird 
ghost egg? Like, what is right. this thing? So I'm sorry, I can't get over the fact you said murky. What? He's Abe. Uh-huh, He's a, good one. <laughs> it's like a pun. Or, I don't know. There's a lot uh, of depth. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just, sorry. Uh... <laughs> no, that was great. Great observation. I remember thinking it'd be nice if you had Johan with him. Right. Right. Right, but that's what I'm saying is he doesn't ever seem to need Johan. He just right. talks to fucking ghosts. Or he shit. can at least hear them. He's got some sort yeah. of receptive ability. Like even with the... Uh, well, I meant like Johan has been able to like guide them to their sure. next... To, you know, right. like but the he, way he did with those frog monsters. Well, or like the the drowned um, slave yeah. boat thing. Um, that's another one that comes to mind. God, what was that one called? The Drums of the Dead? And uh, oh, yeah. but yeah, again with these all these dead bodies that he encounters under the water, you know they really have a lot of detail in them. You can see like all their veins and stuff like that to really like they don't look grotesque dead, but you can tell that they've passed. You yeah. know, which I think is a, a it's tasteful. You know, well, and then their their word bubbles are in blue, right? And I, they seem to always do ghosts in blue, right? Well, yeah, their skin is blue too. As Abe comes back to the house, he sees Autumn. She says Isaac is doing towny stuff with Lloyd. And we see them passed out in front of a table of empty beer cans. <laughs> I guess that's towny stuff. Yeah. yeah, might as well. You know, what else are you going to do? Abe asks about the house, and Autumn says it was their parents' house. We also see Isaac's wife, Birdie, in a picture. And she's that same lady from the underwater and from the flashback also. As we cut to the morning... There's this wonderful landscape shot that is so beautiful at the top of the page. Oh, yeah. Yeah, from over the shoulder of that towering... Yeah, yeah. Like, behemoth or whatever. And we see Isaac and Lloyd eating breakfast. Are they hogging all the bacon or what? Like, man, like, because she was just saying, you guys don't have any meat, but then here uh, these guys are eating meat. So I was like, what is... Uh, they're eating what is eggs, it? too. Yeah. Turkey, turkey bacon, maybe? Maybe. Tofu? Maybe it's uh, bacon. <laughs> there you go. Tofu bacon? <laughs> Lloyd asks if Isaac noticed that the frogs didn't come for Abe. They were coming for us, Lloyd says. Isaac says, you're a damn fool if you can't see that he's the answer to our problems. Over with Autumn and Abe, she asks if he wants sriracha hot sauce on his eggs. I do. I oh, really God, do. no, he says. <laughs> where, where do you stand yeah. on the sriracha with eggs? Oh, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah? If you want it. If you uh, well, my wife makes an atomic hot sauce from peppers that she grows and uh, oh nice i mean it goes in everything now nice abe tells autumn that he swam around where the waterfront used to be where the town fell uh you lost a lot of people huh that's a weird way of asking about it right like he wants to talk about it but you know what i mean it's a weird thing to bring up autumn says it was about five minutes between calm and the cracking sound no one got out alive and your sister-in-law abe asks she was at home, way below the new water line, probably still asleep. She asked Abe, what's up with all the questions? What did you see, she asked. Did you see bodies? Is that why you stay, Abe asked. You're waiting to learn what happened to her? I guess if you found bodies, you'd know that she didn't turn into frogs, Abe says. Autumn says they know who turned into frogs. She wonders how scared Bertie was, waking up alone to that. Isaac can't forgive himself, Autumn says. How does staying here help, Abe asks. Should we leave, Autumn asks. Haven't we lost enough? We just cut to Abe walking away from the house. He's trying to figure out what the motivation is, and I just feel like he's really just trying to see how people are coping with all of this stuff. Yeah, and and he clearly doesn't want to tell them about the 
Right, he's kind of skirting Trapped around it. Yeah. We see Abe walking off, and we cut to that Ogdruham. We see gas emitting from it in the distance, and we get a flash of Birdie underwater. As Abe is walking, he runs into William, and William tells him that Autumn is fearless. Isaac is brave, but there's a difference. He tells Abe the Ogdraham makes for the most awful sunsets. Abe asks if Williams wants to ride along with him to the waterline. And it seems like we cut into them as Abe is asking why he stays, right? They're already like in the middle of the conversation. William says it's his age. Where the hell is he going to start over? We have all different reasons to stay, William says. Autumn is too stubborn to give up this place. And Isaac, Abe asks, you think he stays because of what happened to his wife? William says Isaac stays for Autumn. William asks Abe how he got the way he is. Long story, Abe says, not the same as what happened to your neighbors. And William says his name is not actually Williams, it's Jonah. The townsfolk turned his last name into his first name. It's better than some things they used to call me, he says. And we get this flashback of Jonah being there when the Ogdruham came up out of the ground. Some really spectacular work there as we kind of like see all the the town going underwater. Because I was trying to figure out like, what were they talking about? Like the new water line. But you get a good sense of it here. Like when it came up, it kind of broke through the ground and all the water just came up and was released onto all the town. Well, I mean, those are probably more like the waterfront properties. Right, And as it broke through by the water, it just swallowed them whole. Right. They don't remember what they used to be, Abe says. The frogs, I mean. You sure, Jonah asks? Well, it is the Bureau for Paranormal Research. And we get a flashback of the BPRD scientists researching one of the frog monsters. Abe says, they're just animals now, if that makes it any better. They aren't like you, Jonah says. No, I did used to be a human, though, Abe says. Your bureau ever tried to turn you back? No, Abe says. For 30 years, we didn't know what I was. Didn't know I changed from a normal man into, well, this. All those years, we knew nothing. And we focus in on Professor Broom right there. Later on, we learn that the thing that changed me was a stone egg. It was destroyed when I changed. Notice that Broom is hypnotizing him. Yeah. yeah. And he's got that tape recorder out Yeah, again. he does. But it says we knew nothing, so I guess they didn't find out anything from that. Mm. Well, maybe he was like trying to hypnotize him to kind of bring back like repressed memories sure, or something. Yeah. But I mean, he basically was in the tube from the moment he turned until the BPRD found him. Right, right. The interesting about hypnotism is I read some stuff. I don't know, you know, anything about this, just a person like in studies or whatever i don't know if it's studied i don't know there's a conversation about it in general where hypnotism could possibly implant false memories oh yeah okay or is maybe more likely to do so and kind of ends up sometimes harming people in that way yeah there was there was like a something about like these children who apparently had repressed memories of abuse from satanic worship that is what i'm talking about um and, and then it not, turned out to be yeah implanted memories from and wow. it's really dangerous because it it causes literal witch hunts that's like interesting I'm to, wow i'm not trying to be inflammatory because i know that the phrase witch hunt right sure. now is kind of overused but 
Yeah. That's an actual, like, literally. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was during the Satanic yeah. Panic during the 80s. It caused yeah, yeah, so yeah. much damage. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I just want to well, put was, that out there. I was just talking about it from a story perspective. No, absolutely. Right. And but I'm yeah, just no, but, bringing you're, up, like, but you're correct. You're, when you I are saw correct. that when I saw that panel of the hypnotism thing, I was like, oh, shit. That's, I immediately think of, like, there are people who have come forward with stories about how much they were harmed by this and their whole family was harmed by this. And it was a whole thing about, like... These memories are actually like falsely implanted yeah. or whatever. Not that I'm trying well, to right. say like, oh, look, if this helped you, hypnotism helped you stop smoking. I don't know. Like maybe that's a, a benefit that you gleaned and I'm not judging that. I'm just saying like sometimes sure. people are, you know. Sure. Uh, I don't know. So that, like when I saw that panel, I was immediately like, oh, no. Yeah. What if it was all a. Uh... Well, when they zoom in on Broom and it says we know nothing, I think that's a sign that Broom knew something. Right. And just didn't tell him. I think those uh-huh. are very interesting two panels right there. Yeah. Um, even the way that they're colored. So it's interesting that you say that because I was thinking, you know, I felt like maybe Broom didn't know something, didn't know, but I mean, we we've gotten to know younger Broom, and younger Broom knew a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should fucking play his tapes. They probably haven't listened to any of them. Right. <laughs> Abe says, a little while after, I read about another egg in England. An old case, long before the Bureau was founded, and we see that Mona egg from last week's episode, and we cut over, and now we're in Tyler Crook's world, right? Isn't right. that cool? Yeah, I, I think the art changed on that last panel. Yeah. Right? That's so cool. I really love that. What a great transition. And so we just read Unland last week, and it had that great Tyler Crook art, and so we're immediately back in that world. I uncovered it eight years ago. The trouble with the frogs was just starting. An agreement with the queen had allowed a cult to worship this object if they kept to themselves. And so we pick up right there at the end of Mysteries of Unland with Abe and Miss Poole. She says the pact is broken, the waters are rising, Drylander. And he says, I'm no Drylander, Mere. And he takes off his hat. Thank you for meeting me, Miss Poole. And she says, I had no choice. So have I broken your pact, he asks. No, it's true. You're no Drylander. They've choked this town, and we see this big Zinko sign, right? Right, and then the Zinko barrels in the background, what looks like stuff pulling around them. Right, exactly. Zinko's poisoned that town. Miss Poole, she says she's happy to bring Abe to Mona, and she takes him back to this mansion where we meet her great-grandson, Anthony, and he's got those weird fish person eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of green. When he sees Abe, he goes, he says, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> She says her daughter withered away and passed away. And we get an image of that, too. Is that Anna? Is that Anna Poole? Was that her? Um, I guess so. (laughs) Is that that same character? Which is weird because she looked fine at the end of the series. So I wonder what happened. They don't really explain it too much. I'm assuming like she had the baby uh, and she wasn't pregnant. So, you know, she had a kid and then just died. Miss Poole leads Abe to Mona. She calls it the Vessel of Istrahem. She tells Abe that he's a vessel too, and she starts speaking in that Hyperborean language. Abe approaches Mona, and it sends out this shockwave, sending Abe flying backwards. All the art here is really great too, and as Mrs. Poole is like getting all worked up, like she's got like the green eyes and all that kind of stuff. So we saw that negative effect. Yeah. That shock. We yeah. saw that in Unland too. Right, the same thing happened when she touched the egg at the end of that story. 
So that egg is an Ogdruhem. Yeah, she called it the Vessel of Istrahem. As soon as Abe touches it, those giant eels also come out. No, Mona, Ada yells. Stop, he's come to lead, she yells at the eels. But they're like, they call her a fool. Keep him from the Mona. Where he leads, death follows, the eels say. They say he's a scourge upon the earth. Unlin has no place in the world he'd bring. He means the end of our race. The end of all races. And we get some great action panels of Abe having to fight these things. They're like headbutting him and stuff like that. I like how they have like a Cobra Commander kind of hiss. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice effect, right? Every time that they talk or say an S sound. And as they're fighting, like the cave is just flooding. So we see Ada Pool. She's also, um, the waters are rising. And the last thing that she says before she goes under is more of that Hyperborean language. Hey, we never had any Hey You Damn Guys about that. Remember we brought that up last week? We did. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, ever, yeah. Uh. Someone's holding on to it. They don't want to reveal that they that they know the secret language. Maybe they're working on a dictionary and they're waiting for final <laughs> approval. The water pulled us under the house, Abe says. They could speak a little, but they were just animals. British MPs were waiting for me outside the pool house. I was urgently needed in the United States. They wouldn't let me approach the house or tell me what happened to Mrs. Poole. I hadn't gone there thinking the egg could turn me back into a man. That isn't why I was sent there. And it's not why I left the BPRD. Miss Poole said she knew what I was. Other people along the way, they've claimed to know something about me. But when I find something that says, I recognize you, you're like me, that's when I'll know, Abe says. And as he's talking, we get great flashbacks here of all these pivotal moments in the series we see the salt and sea monster we see the king of fear devon phoenix shooting abe call holding the numyabisk egg and then abe about to touch the mona egg also yeah i really enjoy the way it's just like eight panels laid out it's like bam 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 bam, bam. yeah it's really cool it really yeah. takes you through the whole story great flashback the scene ends with abe and jonah looking at the ogdruhem we see more of that mist slightly around it and then we have this really nice scene with Autumn and the bear, right? So we just see her fishing on the side, and this bear comes by. At first, she looks a little concerned, but it just keeps walking. It's kind of like this nice little moment in this... Um, when we're reading one of these stories, you know that something bad is going to happen at some point, right? So right. it's really interesting. They just take this moment to kind of almost give it a whole page for just this scene. I think it's really interesting. You know what else? Uh, where she's fishing, that's where the town was, right? Oh, right, yeah. I think there comes to a point where it's like us and the bears would all be like, yeah, we got bigger problems. Right, anyway. right. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really nice moment. Like, you know, just kind of like I, um, like I'd imagine if you were watching this as a movie, it'd be like that, you know, serene, like no real music kind of playing. Right, yeah. You know, her just fishing and the bear. You probably hear the bear make a noise or something and then just kind of walks on by lloyd and isaac come over and they're gonna watch abe as he goes to investigate they have a funny interaction here they're like oh i thought that was you he ain't hard to make out from a distance and jonah says now i can't be the last black man in florida lloyd uh, but they're talking about abe right yeah but yeah. i think that that's yeah, funny so. they kind of uh, it's just a it's a really subtle joke but i really liked it isaac is like be careful man me and Lloyd will cover you. And Abe says, I wish that filled me with more confidence, Isaac. 
<laughs> I mean, they're they're bringing out lawn chairs just so they're like they're gonna be sitting there. They got their shotgun, right? Yeah, but one of them going back to get a case of beer, <laughs> right? And then there's this moment right before Abe is gonna go off where Lloyd he's all afraid Abe is gonna steal his girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> and Isaac calls him back. We see Abe dive down past the frog monsters, and he's confronted by those ghosts again. He tries to talk to Birdie, but she can't hear him. Birdie asks why he won't speak. You're not like the frog, she says. Not an animal like them, but not like us trapped. Not like us, but no better. You're nothing. And so we kind of see him swimming throughout this scene. We also see, I thought this was interesting, we see the frogs, like they're eating each other too, right? They're like fighting each other in the water. It definitely does look like that. And... As this is all going on, we see these, like, valves opening up on the Ogdruhem, and more of that mist is coming out throughout this whole scene. But I thought this was interesting where she says, not like us, but no better. You're nothing. And Hellboy in Hell, when Hellboy was left in the abyss and that little demon came, that's kind of what he told him. He said, you're nothing. And he left Hellboy out there in the abyss, and then he's like, oh, crap. And then he falls in the water or whatever. I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Underwater, Abe starts getting swarmed by the drowned ghosts. You can't help us. Go, they say. And then we get this huge panel where the Ogdraham releases all this gas. That is so awful. I saw that. I was just like, oh, shit, that's horrible. Yeah, and they do a good job of just giving it that huge scale and i mean it would just be unavoidable we cut to autumn she finally caught a fish right and we get another kind of nice continuation of this scene they really give it a whole page to breathe but then when she pulls the fish out of the water it's one of those weird fish again right it's all mutated she's very kind to it though she lets it go yeah yeah and she throws it back, and then this bottom panel is just terrifying, right? It's just so interesting how just some sh- some color shading could be so terrifying. Yeah, it's like a wall of the mist coming straight for her. Right. In the water, Abe sees the mist coming at him, too, and he swims towards it, remembering Grace's question. What would that do to you? In the mist, Abe gets snagged up by this weird tentacle thing. Now, this monster... Uh, I can tell you is or was inspired by the 80s monster movie, The Prophecy. Oh, Have you okay. ever seen that? No. Does that have Christopher Walken? You're right. There was. That was later in 95. Oh, so that's not the same thing. one you're talking about. So this one has a monster on the cover that looks a lot like this, particularly on the cover to this issue. Do you have that in the back, maybe? Yes. Yeah, that disgusting image of Abe being consumed by... Yes, we'll talk about that, but yeah, it's in the sketchbook. It's really great. That's an homage to the prophecy. Nice, nice. Thanks for that bit of trivia. Yeah, so he gets snagged up by this trash monster. I like that name for it. And it pulls him inside. And so this is so claustrophobic. I'm someone who's very claustrophobic, and so this scene of Abe like being inside of it and just all tangled up in all these... I don't know, sinews and guts and everything. And there's even, like, little bugs. There's, like, Ogdrahim bugs in there crawling all around. Uh, It just starts to, like, connect to him right away. Yeah. Yeah. The colors and the art are so dynamic and just really scary. He's finally able to pull free in his bottom panel. He's straining against all the tentacles. And then we see that he's on top of the thing, right? So he's at the very top of this spire um, of this Ogdrahim. 
he gets pulled back inside of it again by these slimy arms. And inside, there's like this inside monster growth monster <laughs> inside of it or whatever. And it starts coming at him. And he like grabs it to hold it, hold it away from his head. We cut to outside of the Angdruhem. And we see that church where all the survivors are holding up. But there's this guy in front holding the stone egg. And he kind of looks like Langdon Call, right? So what is happening here? Is this happening at the same time? Is this in the past, right? I have a theory. So as as this continues, Abe starts to have some sort of a vision. As if this um, this Hem is tapping into his worst fears. Ah, okay. Uh. And and showing the entire town affected right. by what's attacking him right now. And then, so this, this is Langdon Call. And I think this is either, I, I don't think this is part of that vision. I think this is a flashback. Here's my, here's my guess. Okay. At some point after Langdon Call went down in that submarine and found his stone egg, between that moment and the moment where it dissolved in his hands, this happened as if he were going around with this stone egg doing like superhero stuff. Oh, okay. I see. Using it. They said this monster came from underneath the town. So I think this is Langdon Call sending that monster under the town. Oh, okay. Okay. I think at some point in the town's history, they were attacked by this thing. He showed up, fought it, and it went away. And I think that if this thing is tapping into Abe's worst fears, and giving him some sort of a vision, then maybe Abe is also tapping into this monster's mind and seeing this moment. Oh, where he okay, was that makes sense. That's really cool. Because Lang- Langdon Call is Abe. Right. And so if the monster's in Abe's head, then he's like, oh shit, I've seen this guy before. Right. Huh. That is so and cool. I, That's a great theory. I love that. And I think what's nuts is that the egg is clearly burning Langdon's hand. Oh, as he okay. Holds it. Yeah. So I think using it is probably not something he did a lot because it hurt him. Hmm. And you can see his fingertips are turning red, and later right, you can right. see it actually did burn his okay. hand. Okay. I didn't pick up on that detail. So if that makes any sense, then I think that the monster is connected to Abe's mind, and that backfired when he realized, oh my god, Abe is Langdon Call, the guy who did me in originally with that egg. Right. I think that's what's happening. Huh. Because... Because it's green in color, and I think that that's part of Abe's origin. Sure, and sure. And his, his flashbacks are green in those moments. Right, so. right. I like that. And so, yeah, in this vision with Langdon Call, we do see that Ogdruhem fall down, and we see that kind of church steeple for reference. So we kind of see it there, and then when it falls down, we see that it's consumed that part of it. And as Abe goes inside, just like Matt said, he sees all the townspeople have been consumed by this thing. We also see those, like, bugs gnawing on people and stuff like that. Abe reaches out for them, but they all turn into these underwater ghosts again, and they're all reaching out for him. So, yeah, it's like some weird vision. It's There's not really any kind of logic to it. He also sees Langdon as one of these things reaching out to him. See Abe, how his hands are burned from Oh, him? right, okay, that's what that is. I think and, that it's that weird crossover Daniel was talking about earlier where Abe, like became Langdon, Langdon became Abe all right. at once. Yeah. And I think that's happening here. I think that same sort of crossover just killed that monster again. Ah, okay. It's really weird. As Langdon reaches out, he says, Abe, those monsters, there is no part of that in you. 
And at the same time, in reality, writes Co. All all of this has been like a vision in Abe's head. And in reality, there's a hand reaching out for him. We see Isaac, and he's searching for Autumn when this frog monster jumps out. So and, that frog monster is Autumn, right? Right. Well, I was going to say, you notice this like red torn thing at the bottom. You know what I mean? She was wearing like a red coat or something like that. It was the same color. If you go back and look, these torn rags were the colors of her clothes. And the last thing we saw was a gas coming at her, right? Yeah, I think it. I think it transformed her. And he shoots the frog monster in the arm, and then again in the head as he falls back. And as he looks back, he realizes it's Autumn's stuff, right? And so, you know, I imagine that he realizes that's her at that moment. I mean, that's or that she was killed by a frog monster. Oh, maybe. right, right, yeah. Well, I just assumed that she did turn into the frog monster. I right. The last we saw her was the mist and then seeing this. I mean, there's the off chance it could have been a different frog monster that killed her, but I think she's the monster. Yeah. I think Autumn was transformed, and he might be under the impression that she was just killed. Sure, sure. Back with Abe, he starts to realize it was all a dream. The church isn't covered with the Ogdruhem. He sees it in the distance. They tell him the gas didn't get any higher than the water line. Some frogs came up, and naturally, people shot at them. The big ones swam away, and the frogs swam after it. This is so weird, right? So it swam away. How does the this big giant thing swim away? There's kind of an illustration of it at the bottom. I just think that would be an interesting thing to see. Maybe like yeah. a, the way a sea cucumber moves or uh, something like that. Right, right. But on a, on a grander scale. Sure. Back with the townspeople... They're all safe, and they celebrate Abe. But Isaac looks pretty bummed. Johan whispers to Abe that they think they lost Autumn, and Abe comes over and sits with Isaac. What happened out there? I'm not even sure I, Abe says. You saved the town, Isaac says. Like I said. You don't have to stay here, Isaac, Abe says. And Isaac puts down his beer, and he says, They told you Autumn's dead. Is she, Abe asks? I'm not sure. I couldn't leave unless I know. Right? I mean, I can't. Of course not, Abe says. Yeah, so that's pretty tragic. So that's what Abe was kind of talking about that, how, why is Isaac staying? You know, is he staying for his wife or whatever? And now, now that Autumn's dead too, that gives him just another reason to stay there. Right. And so we cut over to Strobel. We cut to the North Atlantic Reykjanes Ridge. This is a region in southwest Iceland. Strobel and Vaughn ride along in their boat. We see Corvellis' skull hanging from the bow. Unfortunately, they don't sing a sea shanty, but instead they come across <laughs> this giant Ogdruhem that's frozen in an iceberg. Strobel seems like the kind of guy who actively tells you not to sing while you're right. on the boat. <laughs> and you're like, damn you, Strobel. He says, do these hold the power? Gesturing towards this like bug-like Ogdruhem. Really great illustration here. Yeah, this is starting to get into my, my yeah. shit. I'm digging this. Will they be our masters or some greater power behind them, he asks. When the seas melt, soldier, will men answer to this monster? Or can it recognize in man a peer? And so this voice says, steer off this course, son. Yes. The thing you seek would be the end of you. Here comes the shaman. You won't find greatness. Yeah. So Tell is this a... Is. is it Shanshan? I assumed it was Shanshan. Right, okay. right. I, yeah. just, I assumed it was just like in general, there's always... One of the Hyperborean shamans. Yeah. Or whatever. And Strobel says, you have no idea the things I've seen. I do, Shanshan says. 
You damned your soul long ago. Persist on this path and it will be more painful than you ever imagined. When you ride in that hellish water. I see, Strobel says. Go back to your temple. Pull your robes tight round yourself, priest. Don't speak of power if you're too timid to wield it. Uh... You might call me priest, Shanshin says, but I know power such as you could never control. And he makes the boat kind of start to capsize. Yeah, I love this whole hubris versus humility. Right. In the face of power kind of a thing, because like those who are truly able to wield great power know enough about it that have the wisdom to not right. use it for these ridiculous displays like this guy would. And so it's it's really interesting about it. It's like, ah, I'll talk about power. Yeah. Stupid priest. You're, you, <laughs> you're too scared to use it. And the guy's like, it's not about being afraid to use it. It's about knowing enough about it to not right, use it. Yeah. To know you're not. And I, I also love how he takes events. He's like, priests, those puny guys. Right. I'm talking to a shaman. Man, I'm a fucking wizard. All right. <laughs> he says, <laughs> we learned it from the last of the Hyperboreans. It was given to them by those great spirits who first vanquished the Ogdruhem, who cast them to the heavens, entombing those they couldn't kill in the earth and under the sea. And we get this amazing image from that moment where Anum pulled the fire down. Yeah, this is a really badass page. I love how it's like the fully expanded version, though. It's like kind of you're getting... When we see that little panel, it's just focusing on him. But here we get to see just all the watchers. It just gives it a great sense of scale. I like when we see like a a different viewpoint or a different picture into these memorable scenes. It is so lovely rendered on a nice double splash page. Yeah. Yeah. And we also see... Okay, so on the bottom left, there's this thing floating through space. I think that kind of looks like the Conquer Worm. That's what yeah. I was thinking. And then this one in the middle looks like that thing that was in this story that was underground, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're bathed in darkness, Shanshin says. That fire would burn you away. Turn your boat around. Or better, crash it on that jagged edge. Even now, Satan's hell would be a kinder one than the one you eagerly seek. Damn, harsh. And so he disappears, and Strobel and Vaughn regain themselves. Onward, soldier, Strobel says. That's dumb. They shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> How long has that storyline been going on, too? Like? I know. There's well, all season. <laughs> well, you all know, season. It's, <laughs> it's just going on in the background, you know. But, I mean, we know where this is going to end with Strobel because it, it always ends the same place. I just drag this out all season in long. In a horrible, like, uh... horrible, horrible mess. Right. Well, a couple of very quick things from this letter column of this issue. There's one note from the editor before the letter, and it says, From here, the answers will start coming faster. Ah. And, okay. and we always talk about, like, where does this fall in the release order, right? We were talking about that earlier. And I know for a fact that BPRD 135 is, like, one week after this issue. Oh, okay. Okay, nice. That's and the awesome. last BPRD we read was 120 or oh, 119. Okay. So I wanted to turn really quick to page 405 in the Omnibus version. Actually, 404. Yeah, so this is that cover that Matt was talking about. This is an awesome Sebastian Fumara cover. And it's got Hellboy, Kate, Professor Broom, Liz, and Abe. And it's just really beautiful. I just really love that. Yeah, it's a really great page. And then if you turn over to page 411, that's the cover that Matt was talking about where Abe is just being consumed by all that trash monster stuff. And so 
Yeah, really horrific. I really love that. Well done. Yeah, look at the cover to the prophecy and make sure it's an 80s monster movie. Okay, yeah. For our next story, we're going to be reading BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Devil's Wings. This is a two-part series published from June to July 2014. Issues 120 and 121, written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Lawrence Campbell. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. Wait, who did this cover? Um, I believe this is Lawrence Campbell. I love mm-hmm. his young Hellboy. Yeah, he's got. we've got teenage Hellboy in this series. The cover says 1949, so Hellboy is actually five years old, but in terms of his actual development, he's a teenager. This is definitely the first time we've seen him at this stage yes. in, in his youth, but it might be the only time, right? I, I think so. Hmm. Yeah, we can talk more about that. I have to say, I actually felt like this story was a nice breath of fresh air yeah yeah this was an interesting story it it wasn't all grim and death in your face (laughs) right right yeah so this this was kind of a nice a nice breather would be the best way to say it and of course you gotta love a story that starts out with o'donnell yeah that's my jam so we open up on professor o'donnell he sees them wheeling away the file cabinets from the sub basement director manning wants to build a bomb shelter junk o'donnell asks oh no 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 i've been digitizing these files i'll tell you what you do you bring them all to my quarters yes you'll do that and they're like uh you're the boss love o'donnell those were exactly 13 no's by the way wow kate comes across all this and she asks about it O'Donnell asks when the scanner will be repaired. So, like, in the middle of all this stuff, hell on earth and everything, that you know, he's like, when are they going to repair the scanner? Well, I like how she says, I told you a week ago to clear this hallway. Right. <laughs> so, he's he probably broke the scanner. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. She starts telling him how she needs the hallway cleared. Oh, what's the point, she says. And she, she just leaves him to his rifling. It's like he doesn't even pay attention to her. He right. just like asks about the scanner. She doesn't say anything about it, so he just doesn't <laughs> he doesn't care. In the control room, Panya tells Kate that Liz, Carla, and Phoenix haven't arrived yet. They're trying to communicate with Johan in Tokyo, and we get this video feed with Johan in front of these two giant Ogdrahem. At the same time, O'Donnell is in his room reading about Captain August Brecken. And he finds and reads his dog tags in the file. Yeah, but so I guess in between, you know, when they were in New York, somehow Johan has ended up in Tokyo. And so that's kind of a new development. But I guess the rest of the team is on their way back. I I love seeing Johan pop up like that. Yeah. (laughs) I like how he's wearing the headset with the little microphone. Isn't that funny? That's so he can have the mic. Right. right. Yeah, I'm assuming because well, he doesn't have ears or anything. That's really great. Well, I mean, and then of course, like he's gonna have to hear him somehow. So it's probably you know the sound is traveling through his gas bag. But he, yeah, he just he looks can, so silly. That's really great. Nice touch. And so I guess Johan can't see them, but he can hear them, and he realizes Kate is there. And then so he starts to report to her that there has been a problem. Half the platoon has gone. Zinc. The power goes out. And Kate is left in the dark. And it seems like she's suddenly all alone. Ponya doesn't seem to respond despite previously being nearby. And I really love these panels of Kate just in the dark. They're just really well done. Yeah, it's really good. Over with O'Donnell, he's in the dark as well. And he lights some candles so he can continue his research. So he can continue (laughs) his research on the captain, yeah. Amazing work with the lighting on these scenes. 
Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. We learn that Captain Brecken was court-martialed in 1949 for aggravated assault, insubordinate conduct, absence without leave, and conduct unbecoming of an officer. Soon after, the colonel that reviewed his conviction went insane. His commanding officer was found hanged. Occult symbols around the bodies. The same symbols were found in Brecken's cell after he went missing. Secretary of Defense Johnson consulted with the BPRD. The Air Force's skepticism was brushed aside by Johnson, who, during the war, had befriended the Bureau's director, Professor Trevor Broom. We see them opening the door into the room, and we see the professor and teenage Hellboy. I really love that. Yeah, so um, I guess you had already seen it on the cover, but just really neat how they introduce, you know, you're like, oh, we're going to get Hellboy in this now. Man, wouldn't it be cool to see like a animated film that's just a broom and teenage Hellboy? Yeah, or a series or a movie or something, or like an episode during the BPRD. Like all the old like X Men cartoons, they had various like the new X Men yeah. Evolution or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. But just like a movie, but not like a series. I would make it like a short-lived cartoon. Okay. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I really wouldn't care what it was as long yeah. as it's, as long as it's good. <laughs> yeah. We cut back to Kate as she continues to look around for someone. She comes across somebody, but she can't see who it is. They say, we've been looking all over for you. Who's we, she asks. Is Liz with you and Phoenix? It was her big stupid dog who sniffed me out, wasn't it? But where the hell are we? And how did I get so lost in the first place? Carla? And so this huge light starts to consume Kate. She sees this like creepy skeleton figure, right, in the dark. It's a really... Yeah, it looks like it's... In a BPRD uniform or something, right? Right. I was. It trying, does. I was trying to figure out: is that supposed to be the Black Flame, or is that just like? No, no, no. He's got pouches. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so she sees this glowing box. Also, what is that? Flashlight. Oh, is that the flashlight? Like, I, I just assumed that was the flashlight on the guy, and it like fell. Oh, okay. Because we kind of see it on the uniform there. You're right. Yeah, yeah but what is that? Yeah, What's that's this. Huh. I, I don't know. I didn't register that last time. Back with Professor O'Donnell. We get amazing work here by Campbell. I just love the way that this is laid out. We see the symbols and all the other dead bodies of people who were killed surrounding Brecken's disappearance. It's like whatever law enforcement was looking for him, they would end up like with their heads blown off or with their wrist cut or whatever. And we see Broom researching the file. And we also see Stegman. We haven't seen Stegman in a while, right? Oh, right. He asks if the murders were for revenge. Sure, but if he wanted him dead, what's with the necromancy, Hellboy asks. Exactly, my son, Broom responds. Hey, I'm paying attention, Hellboy says. <laughs> <laughs> Broom tells Stegman that Brecken has an appetite for power. From the symbols, Broom knows that for each life the killer takes, he adds another weapon to his thaumaturgical arsenal. Thaumaturgy is the capability of a magician or a saint to work magic or miracles. The use of magic for non-religious purposes, the art and science of wonder-working, using magic to change things in the physical world. The man who can imprison the spirits of good people, who can use them against their wills for transgression, can corrupt those souls. That man is a favored son of pandemonium, and each soul he captures makes him stronger. And we get another image of that pandemonium statue that we saw in Hellboy in Hell. Yeah, and Lawrence Campbell's just killing it on this. I mean, these pages are just so awesome. Broom notices in the research a Dr. Ackerman is named. And he doesn't live far away. Sounds like a road trip to me, Hellboy says. 
You what? see what's in the picture in the road where he says, sounds like a road trip to me? Oh, that's that picture. It's the ninth, well, the World War II picture. Yeah. yeah. Good oh, eye there, Aubrey. Tiny. Broom is hesitant of letting Hellboy tag along, but Stegman says, the kid can't learn anything if he never leaves the office. And so we cut to Broom, Stegman, Hellboy, and his buddy Archie, and they're all approaching Ackerman's house. And so this doctor apparently certified Brecken as mentally fit for duty. And also, I guess Hellboy and Archie made up after the ending of BPRD 1948, where Hellboy cut off his horns for the first time after being embarrassed when Archie laughed at him for trying to wear a hat. Yeah. He probably was just like, dude, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to make fun of you, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. He's like, okay, Archie, and now they're good. Yeah. And Archie here is telling Hellboy that he can't just go inside someone's house. If the average Jamoke sees you coming up the steps, how do you think that'll go, he asks. What is that? Have you heard that term before? I think it's just 1940 slang. Have you heard that, Matt? No. <laughs> Jamoke. I thought that was really funny. Anyway. Here, I just looked it up. Oh. <laughs> Appearing at the end of the 19th century is a blend of Java and Mocha. By the 1920s, it became slang for someone who lacked mental abilities beyond that of a cup of coffee oh that's <laughs> great <laughs> damn uh, oh and then maybe cut this out in the 1960s it also began to be used as slang for male genitalia <laughs> which i've definitely never heard of that yeah i definitely will not cut that out that is stayed oh. in <laughs> just as broom steps onto the first step of the porch this monster breaks through the doorway out to them. Great design here on this monster. I really love this. It's like a dog Ogdrahem size monster. Well, it's a little bit bigger, but yeah, it's kind of got the. It moves kind of like a dog. Right, right. And Stegman quickly shoots at it. And little Hellboy is still concerned, though. Professor, he yells out. Easy kid, it's all over, Archie says. Man, what a waste, a voice says. I don't even know you cats. But that's just something I'm going to have to get used to, right? Lots of who's it's coming for me now, I bet. All right, how about we just get this over with? And we see Brecken there standing, and behind him in the doorway is just like this incredible just swirl yeah. of eyes and teeth that's or whatever. Yeah. Um, really awesome work. It kind of reminds me of what on the side of Cothaham, it kind of looked kind of like that. You know, it reminded me, I don't know why, it reminded me of The Devil Does Not Jest. Oh, you're right. Yeah, the covers kind of looked like that. Yeah. Back with Kate, she comes across the sledgehammer armor in the dark. Sledgehammer? Yeah. Right here. I, I was like, please, Kate, put on the armor. Oh, yeah. Put on the armor. <laughs> oh, that'd be so great. So, cool. so cool. Man. But she realizes that that means she's in the sub-basement. She says to herself, get a grip. Weirder things have happened to you. I was trying to think about this. I was thinking about this a little bit. Like, what has she seen, right? She saw um, Werewolf Ghost with Hellboy. She got pulled into that one dimension when she was trying to find the bring, way to bring Roger back. Right, with the marquee and everything. She oh, saw that. Right. She saw that giant demon come out of the ground. She saw... Um, Hasn't she fallen through shit, too? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was also thinking she saw the team, like, with all the sheep. Remember that moment where they uh, oh, right. landed up on the other side of the world yeah. or something? Mm -hmm. And, Has uh, she already been to England at this point? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been to England, too. Yeah, so I was just trying to think of, you know, when she makes that comment, it just makes me think about all the other stuff she, maybe she's referencing. 
She thinks to look for the elevator, but there's no power. And again, I mean, the, the the shadow work and just the way that they play with the light on these pages is um, just really mind-boggling. It's really amazing to look at. We see outside these helicopters touching down with the other BPRD members. We see Jiroko, Liz, Phoenix, Bruiser, and two pilots. They comment about Liz getting out of her wheelchair so quickly. So at the end of Reign of the Black Flame, after she fought the buff flame, you know, I guess she was in a wheelchair for a while, but she's already healed really quickly. They've got a surprise snowstorm as well. And goddamn, this team shot at the bottom of the page. Uh, Oh my God, right? I just love this. Yeah. Awesome. You're instantly drawn to it. It's just a great shot, too. You know, that's a slow-mo astronaut walk. Sure. Yes, yes. That's the the right stuff, astronaut walk. Right. But you notice uh, Doroko is wearing the same type of uniform that that Kate saw with the uh, skeleton head earlier. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, and that was the last thing she said was Carla, right? Oh, she yeah. Saw that. Yeah. It's weird. So maybe she was, like, imagining. Right. She was imagining that that was her, that was the ghost or something. Ah, that's a good connection, Aubrey. As the team go up to the door, they realize that the power is out. And as they go in, they run into Panya. Panya says, Blackouts happen from time to time, but this feels different. Different how, Jiroko asks. And where's Kate, Liz asks. That, my loves, is an excellent question, Panya responds. When are they going to drop the Panya turn? Yeah. Like, this is another thing that I'm like, okay, I get it. She's mysterious. Right. Let's get on with it. Where's the reveal? <laughs> they've been teasing that all season, I know, too, right? I they've been teasing that all season, man. Well, what if there is no reveal? What if it's, d- d- she's just this way? And I'm going to be pissed. Because <laughs> that's a lot of buildup for no reason. And so we cut back over with Kate, and she finds these pilot's wings, right? Or what are these? No, captain's wings? Like a... Captain's wings? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, remember Roger had some of those? Oh, you're right. Yeah, he did have some wings. But it's got like a propeller on it instead of like a jet engine. Yeah, I think these are military, whereas he just had free plastic ones. (laughs) (laughs) I love to find, I I, I don't know about you, but I love to find a cursed amulet or brooch, (laughs) like a a Dracula amulet. Pick it up and put it on immediately and wear it. That's that's my favorite thing to do. How cool would that be? You find that, get possessed. John and Aubrey have to like rescue you. <laughs> no, no They're rescue. calling me for for advice or <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I actually do have like an old book here with some spells in it. And then oh, that'd be be our own like Stranger Things, man. That'd be so cool. Oh, that'd be cool. This is my favorite pastime though. I've got I mean, I've got an entire drawer full of these. Yeah. The little So it could yeah. it could really happen. That there is there so you go. cool. Be careful. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so as Kate picks up this item, we see, like, six of these different, like, head ghosts kind of, like, go into her or something. There's this big spooky moment. Kind of reminded me of BPRD the Dead, right? Where all those scientist right. mm-hmm. ghosts got into Johan. Yeah, so when I saw this, I was like, no, don't let anything bad happen to Kate. Right? Yeah, seriously. But like she said, she's seen worse. So. Right. Back with Ponya, Liz, and the gang, they start coming up with a game plan to find Kate, and then the power comes back on. Strange. The maintenance crew hasn't even been notified, Ponya said. Maybe, but this will make it a lot easier to find her, Liz says, 
And I like how the fire is going out, that little effect, because she yeah. had the fire there, and then there's like a little yeah. thing of smoke there. Yeah, she makes a fist, and it goes out. Yeah. Find who? And then Kate comes around. There she is, Liz says. We were just about to launch a posse for you. What? You kidding me, Kate asks. I go looking for a flashlight, and you get all worked up. I swear, you're like a bunch of old ladies. You know, no offense, she tells Ponya. Of course not, dear, <laughs> Ponya says. Hey, Dr. Corrigan, what's that, Phoenix asks. Huh? Oh, this? And she gestures towards those pilot's wings. Just something I found in the hallway. Nice, right? And that pano is so creepy, right? That is right? like the creepiest fucking face. This is like, oh, no. Go she ahead. looks just like the guy from his file. Yeah, oh, I remember. okay, yeah. It also made me think of, we don't really see Kate smile too much she's usually got a con- furrowed brow and a concerned look on her face she, she's too busy to smile <laughs> she's got too much crap to deal with yeah, yeah. The stress of upper management yeah later we see liz with her jacket on elizabeth have you seen Catherine? ponya asks not this again liz says pedro on the intercom didn't you just hear me do that child ponya asks okay i'll help you in a sec after i smoke Take it outside, Ponya says. I am taking it outside. <laughs> Jeez. We see Liz go out there. And as she goes outside, she's like, what the? And she sees Kate out there just standing in the snow in just her blazer looking up at the night sky. Really beautiful panel. But it's also super creepy because you're like, what the fuck is going on, right? Right. right. Kate, Ponya's looking. Hey, it's like 16 degrees out here, Liz says. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, it's cold, Kate says. Being down there so long in the dark, though, I was aching to see the sun is all. Down, Liz asks. Where, your quarters? Hope this snow clears up soon, Kate says, and she walks off. I mean, she's not talking like Kate. Either. Exactly. Like, yeah. Her, you know. We cut back to O'Donnell. He's sipping his tea, and he's like, let's see, let's see, let's see. Ah, yes. At this point, Captain Brickhannon stepped out from the porch. Hey, can I... Can I back up for one second? Yeah, go ahead. Check out Kate standing in front of the helicopter. Snow has piled up against her leg, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I wonder if that's to indicate she's been out there for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. I didn't catch that little detail. That's great. That's a good detail. We cut back to the flashback with Broom. Okay, so in the animated series, it's all stories that are read by O'Donnell. Oh, that would be awesome. That's, that's right. your framing device right there. He's, he you. opens up a file and he like starts going through it. Awesome. That would be great. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> so Brecken steps out onto the porch. He says, what's wrong with you, Jaspers? I figure you to have hightailed it by now. And Stegman can't find his clip on his gun. And so... Brecken starts speaking in that weird Hyperborean language, and he gestures towards Stegman and Broom, and they all go flying up. Even that dead dog monster goes flying up, too, which I thought was a nice touch. Hellboy yells out for Archie as he goes flying away, too. Oh, it doesn't seem like he can affect Hellboy, though. Exactly, right? And he's also not affecting Broom, either. And Broom says... You know, he saw the symbols on those crime scenes, and he devised a charm in the event of our meeting. Oh, man, you, you're some sort of witch doctor, is that it? Brecken says. He realizes Broom can't be affected by the spell, so he tries to scare him. And he says, you don't know what I did in there to old Doc Ackerman. And he laughs at Broom's shocked expression. 
the look on your face, he says. And he starts speaking more of the frog language. And the house behind him just explodes. This panel is so awesome as it kind of like builds to this moment. I love the way that they use the lines to indicate like the power. It's like some sort of like sonic wind kind right. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. On the next page, Brecken is still going on and then suddenly he gets shot at. And we reveal it's Hellboy. This is his first mission out. Right, jeez. Do you notice how there are three shots and only one of them hits? That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah. They're yeah, kind of... and it's red. Oh, it's like yeah. Orange, yeah. orange, red. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so his very first mission out and he has to shoot someone in the head. Professor, I had to. Right? He asks. And Archie says to Stegman, guess he found your spare clip. Back with Liz and the BPRD gang, they talk about how Kate is acting all weird. Panya says she senses a weird presence around Kate, and Phoenix says she feels like Dr. Corrigan is going to hurt them, and we need to stop her before she hurts anyone else. And th- these character designs are just top-notch on this page. I just love looking at Lawrence Campbell draw the different characters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Back with Broom in 1949, w- and we also see this, how Brecken blew up that whole house. You kind of see the outline of that, which I think is yeah. really awesome, right. too. It kind of gives that sense of scale. O'Donnell reads that they determined Brecken's power came from a pack with Satan and that power was ineffective against certain members of Broom's team. So they're talking about Hellboy there, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the charm, probably. Archie comforts Hellboy and Broom holds his head as he tells him, you're a hero. So yeah, that made me think like, did Broom really want this life for him? Is he kind of like, oh, you know, I mean, the way that those panels are kind of yeah. paired together, it makes me think like he's like, he's this is now. Yeah. 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 You know, like um, for all the the hate that the new movie got, you know, I've watched it a couple times since it's come out. And there is a really cool scene where he's like, you turned me into a weapon, you know what I mean? And all right, this kind right. of stuff. And it kind of made me think of that here. And just that whole idea, you know what I mean, of what Broom made me think about what Broom wanted for Hellboy as a father figure and stuff like that. Seeing him sit in the uh, ambulance, you know, with Archie, you know, consoling him, and it's just like, you're right, this is probably the first time he's had to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First of all, I watched that movie last week. I love it. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that movie. I think Broom is like, he would like him not to be the beast of the apocalypse, but does he know that that's hellboy's destiny at this point i don't know i don't know if he's been told yet well remember oda benga told him something like that in those 1940 stories and that would be before this and i think he just has some notion that you know obviously hellboy was brought here for evil purposes right and this would be a step in that direction but being a hero makes it it's like uh it's messy yeah the dog tags revealed brecken's next of kin And the file ends with the Bureau awaiting answers from the person that they're waiting to come claim the body. And I like that O'Donnell, he realizes that the lights were back on. Like he was just reading and didn't realize that the power had come back on. And as he gets up, he finds the addendum to the file. And I just, I have to say, I love this panel where he puts his glasses back on. Because I could totally see that. It's so cinematic where he's like, ah, there's extra paper. And then he puts his glasses on. I love that. The captain's remains were buried in Fort Logan when no family could be found. And that's actually a real military cemetery in Denver, Colorado. Apparently, the next of kin spot on the dog tag was gibberish. O'Donnell pauses. And he removes his glasses. God, Heavenly Father, no, he says. So we're starting to see that these things are linked, right? Obviously. Oh, yeah. 
We see Kate sneaking around. I just love these panels. They're really great. She goes out the door, and she's confronted by Jeroko, Phoenix, and Liz. At least you're wearing your parka this time, Liz says. Maybe you're not so crazy after all. And Kate's like, whoa, what's this? Let's go back inside, Kate. We need to talk, Liz says. Wrong, sister. And like she kind of pushes Kate's arm aside. I don't need that at all. I just really love that. I need to fly, and I finally got the clear skies to do it. She starts going towards the helicopter. What's with them? Not even trying to catch me? And then Bruiser jumps out. I really love that. Yeah. Good boy. And as he knocks Kate backwards, the wings fall off of her coat. Yeah, so I love this. So they're like, oh, you were right, Phoenix. You went straight for the chopper. Get to the chopper. Kate starts to realize, you know, that something weird happened. She's like, oh, how did I get out here? And the power's back on? When did you guys get back? And so they're like, oh, you really don't remember how you made fun of us? Remember how she called him a bunch of old ladies? I thought that was funny. <laughs> She's like, making fun of you? No, I don't. Better take her to see Ponya. She That's can ma- scary as hell, man. Right, so, right. That would freak me out. And as all this is happening, we see the wings are starting to smoke a little bit. I'm just glad you're back to normal. Back to normal? What's that mean, Kate says. We'll tell you later. And then as they walk away, I love this. You think it's all over? And then the helicopter blows <laughs> up. And they do this amazing double splash page by Lawrence Campbell. We see this huge monster in the fire. I didn't release you, lady. Come back to me or your friends are meat. And they're just, they don't give a shit, right? (laughs) Yeah. So good. They're just totally not phased by this thing at all. And so I was thinking about this a little bit. Okay, you've got Jiroko who blew herself up fighting the Were Jaguar. Right. You got Liz who just fought the Buff Flame. Phoenix who had to fight like hammerheads and head on on foot and stuff like that. And then Kate, we kind of talked about her adventures too. It's just like, <laughs> I just really love that reaction. Like, yeah, it's just it's like, another day at the office. <laughs> right. They're like, who's this Yahoo? Right. <laughs> How do we fight smoke? I'll let you know when I figure it out, Liz says. There's nowhere you can go to get away. And he like uh, destroys the helicopter. And so Liz, she shoots fire at it, but it just ends up blowing up this piece of the helicopter and debris starts flying everywhere. Well, I think he swatted the helicopter. Right, right. This what you figured out? Because I don't like it, Jiroko says. Phoenix starts running inside to go get Panya. And as she runs inside, we see that O'Donnell's coming the other way. And she tells him, hey, you don't want to go out there. No, 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 no. You're wrong, girl. You're wrong about that. I absolutely do, he says. Outside, this work is just amazing as this huge, like, fire face is coming at them. They're just shooting at it. And suddenly from behind, they hear somebody chanting this language isn't it uh latin oh is that what it is yeah it looks latin Mm -hmm. and it's o'donnell and so he's saying this latin spell i guess and as he says it we see the monster slowly kind of start to shrink and then we see those like skinny faces that we saw all go into kate earlier kind of start to be released too i really love the design of this monster how he's just made up of like smoke and fire And it finally shrinks down to just a skeleton. And then just the two pilots are like, is that our chopper? (laughs) I really love that. (laughs) You just see the wreckage of it in the background. Ponya explains, where it said next of kin was actually the incantation to bring Brecken back. His spirit had bonded with the officer's wings and threw them to Kate. Liz mentions the way he unraveled at the end. 
and Ponya explains it was all the souls he had enslaved and gained power from. And in spite of his great power, you're still alive for that reason, she says. Seems Brecken was never keen to kill unless he could benefit from it. For real? Seemed pretty keen to me, Phoenix says. It took a spot of research on O'Donnell's part, but he fared well, I'd say, Ponya says. The seven souls were freed from Brecken's grasp one by one, leaving the captain powerless and finally dead. Can I talk to O'Donnell, Kate asks. Not tonight, Ponya says. He was quite agitated by the day's events, feels responsible. He's been sedated. Maybe tomorrow, Kate says. This bit here about Brecken's power being essentially ineffective against certain members of Professor Broom's team, I'd sure like to read more about that. And we end with this team shot of the 1949 team. Really cool, really cool way to end that story, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that O'Donnell was reading a mix of Latin, Somali, and Arabic. Wow, okay. Because okay. I just looked up a few of those random words and they all okay. came up from different origins. Nice. So it's interesting. Good detail on that. I just thought this was interesting to point out. This little story, it was just Kate, Liz, Phoenix, Jeroko, Panya, and Professor O'Donnell. I love it. Which that is kind of great. really yeah. cool Ensemble. how those, just how you can take anybody from this cast and put them together and you get really good That's character moments thing. and good storytelling. When, when shows and stories and books and whatever, when narratives do that is my favorite thing. I just love when uh, different characters you know have to spend time with each other and what happens what comes of that is like yeah i'm a, I'm a sucker it's also bprd 1949 mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i was gonna say that too yeah i like the little flashback to to young hellboy i do like it but i have to admit and i don't know if you remember matt when this came out because i'm all about bprd like i have to say just the most consistently written book like whenever we come back to it, i know it's going to be something good and i enjoyed the story when it first came out but I was also, I wanted to get, I wanted to see what was going to happen after Reign of the Black Flame. Oh, And then yeah, this story know, just yeah. kind of, it, it kind of paused us for a little bit. I remember at the time being a little frustrated with that. I really enjoyed it on this read through. I enjoyed it probably more than a lot of the other ones that we've come back to. I just thought it was so good. And I was like, how did I miss, you know, what a gem of a story this is. I felt the same way. It, I did recognize it to be uh, like a zoom in on the characters, right? And because to me, the black flame is like big picture stuff. Yeah. And I feel like at the time when I was reading it, I was like, okay, deal with the black flame. Then what? So better take time for these sort of, uh, shorter story arcs before you get to that. Cause that, that seems like there's a lot of finality to that. Right. 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 Yeah. In the sketchbook section, there's only two pages for this story. It's got some of the roughs for the, concepts of the covers from Lawrence Campbell and Campbell writes being asked to draw covers for BPRD was a great honor these issues featured the first appearance of teenage Hellboy so this was a baptism by fire after reading the scripts I realized the two-parter featured two objects important to the arc the dog tags and the wings badge I came to the decision quickly to try and focus on these objects and use them as a connection between what was happening in the past and in the present 120a and 121a were my first ideas it was then a case of making sure all the design elements fit together after that and then we kind of get to see his process of plotting it just right these covers are really awesome too lawrence campbell i'm so glad to have him on this series whenever we get one of his stories 
I think I talked about this before. We get so much uh, fantastical stuff. His stuff is so grounded and realistic looking. Yeah. I just really love looking at those character designs. Yeah. And like I said earlier, the, the story just, it, it was like a nice like change of pace. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know what you're saying about um, really wanting to know what happens next after the Black Flame stuff. But I'm just kind of like, it was nice to get that breather. Fucking O'Donnell saved the day by reading some shit. I mean, <laughs> so we, I mean, not to say anything about because, you know, we love O'Donnell, but I mean, it's just, you know, he just like walks out and bam, fucking monster's gone. <laughs> All right. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to kind of, we might have some shorter episodes. We might be behind on the listener feedback, but you'll still get an episode every week. So I just want to throw that out there for these next couple of episodes. But it'll be all good. Next week, we'll be talking about the BPRD again. And Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on Abe Sapien, Dark and Terrible, The Shadow of Swanee, and the BPRD Hell on Earth, The Devil's Wings. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link uh, and the reading order on our About page. Always a special thanks to Paul from Garterharn for the wonderful music that he has provided for us. Thank you, as always. Yes. Thanks to Mark Trudell for helping John out with the reading order. The guys over at Mike Manila's art Facebook page. Yes. For just like daily content of beautiful stuff. Just being awesome. Yeah. Hold on, I forgot to mention this. There's this guy on Instagram, his name is Dan Wolf. For the Inktober, every day he's doing a Hellboy Meets Oh, yes, I've seen Have those. you seen these? Yes. And so the day one was Hellboy meets Audrey 2 from Little Shop of That's Horror. Great. Yeah. And then it was Hellboy oh, meets cool. uh, the awesome. shark from Jaws. And then it was Hellboy meets one of the elder things. <laughs> and every day it's something else. And they're really good. And so, hey, yeah, follow that guy. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to mean to interrupt. No, no, no. That That's a great thing. That Those are wonderful. You definitely find those. I saw them on, you uh, posted all four of them on the, the Mike Mignola art. Yeah, he's also yeah. posting on there, too. That's what made me think of it. Anyway. Okay. Also. John, thank you for all the hard work, you know, and oh, the yeah. cool stuff that you do behind the scenes with all the editing and the, the whatnot to make us sound awesome. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we will be reading BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Broken Equation. So the cover looks baller. <laughs> that looks dope so pull out those back issues and this, uh, math books because this is dealing with equation <laughs> and uh, you know go to your library um, get that library app check them out hang out with your friends and read uh, join us for the book club next week back to you John <laughs> thanks a lot for listening everybody I'm John Salinas I'm Danielle and I'm Matt Strackbine and I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying Sounds like a road trip to me. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice.